Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Believe in Everything Auburn is brought to you by Bet Online. Football is back, and Bet Online is your number one information source for all your sports wagering info with all the up to the minute stats, news, scores, and matchup breakdowns. Get the latest game odds, spreads, and totals from the NFL and college football at your fingertips with Bet Online's real time updates on statistics, news, and odds. From week one all the way to the college football playoff and Super Bowl, Bet Online gives you access to the best football promotions and contests available anywhere online. So head to the website today or use your mobile device to get in on the action. Remember to use our promo code BELIEVE, that is B L E A V, to get a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet Online, where the game starts. Campbell in the end zone. They're not keeping this buck off this field tonight. 100 yards. Can you believe it? I still can't believe it. Now presenting Believe in Everything Auburn with your hosts, Taylor Davis and Jason Campbell. War Eagle, everybody. Welcome back to Believe in Everything Auburn. I'm Taylor Davis. He is Jason Campbell. And all good things here, y'all, because another Auburn win for us to break down. In the words of that viral TikTok sound, a win is a win. It may not have been the prettiest. It may not have been the most effective, but we left Cal with a dub, and I will take that any day. So welcome in, everybody. We're glad that you have joined us. My co-host is back from his West Coast adventures, and I am so eager to hear all about it, as you should. You did a little wine country sightseeing. <laughs> you you made a little trip out of it. So tell us about it all. Yes. Hello, world. Uh, this is your boy, <laughs> Jay Cam. Uh, I'll say this. It was a great, great trip. Uh, we mm-hmm. actually got out there on Thursday, woke up at 430 in the morning to go catch an 8 a.m. flight. Uh, <laughs> I know, right? And then once we got to California, get there like 10 a.m. and so immediately you try to check in. They wouldn't let you check in to 3 p.m. So then yeah. you got to find something to do until that time. And then <laughs> by the time you check in and you try to go downtown, it's traffic. And But we end up having fun. We end up going to the Nike store in downtown San Francisco. And, you know, it's like six floors. Yep. And, of course, I didn't buy me anything. But, you know, I bought my wife's her some Took dunks. Took care of the wife? And, uh, yeah. You know, she got some <laughs> you know outfits and stuff. But, you know, me, I... I I just, you know, said, yeah, yeah, I'm good. So giving, but, so giving yeah, of you, yeah. Jay. So I took the back seat, but <laughs> other than that, you know, my trip was going out to Napa. So went out to Napa, went to Dakota Shy. Oh man, they wine is so good. Um, <sighs> went with an Auburn group, and so we had food, we had wine, and they cooked brick oven pizza right in front of us, and it was so good. Like just what fresh off the grill, sitting in front of you, you have a glass of wine, and you got fresh brick oven pizza and they made like three different kinds and oh you know my gosh. And it, it, it was awesome I, I got a chance to just you know just enjoy if I'm gonna fly five hours 
I'm going hundred percent. I'm going more than just going to the game. So, exactly. You know, I, I told the, the crew they want to stay around the hotel. I said, "Hey guys, uh, I see y'all later on." I said, <laughs> "You know, we go, we going somewhere for a little while, and I meet back up with y'all later." But you know, it was oh, an awesome really? trip. It was fun. Our fans Good. showed up and showed out. I got to say that, like, we had over at least ten thousand fans there. Uh, you know, even Coach Pearl was out there in the stands. You know, and everything. He was there, so. What a guy. You know, Auburn travels well, and we traveled big, and we were pretty much – we was more than a third of their stadium because wow. you saw the Auburn session on one side, but you didn't see all the Auburn people that were sitting around the stands as well. So sure. it was it, it was loud, and I think if it hadn't been for our fans, I don't know if we could have got out there with a W because they got behind us. That's team. a very good point. It definitely looked like a fun trip. It was one that I, as a spectator on social media and seeing things from Auburn accounts, I had so much jealousy. I was like that. that and those trips are so cool because we don't get them every season. They're not a guarantee. So as a fan, you're looking at, okay, if I'm willing to fly and make a weekend trip, like let's go to Cal. How fun. I, I love it. So I'm so glad that so many fans traveled. Let's get into it a little bit. Cause I, I really want to pick your brain about what we saw. Obviously, like I said, a win is a win and Auburn starting out two and O is certainly a privilege, especially when we consider how much newness, how much change and just the turnaround that this staff and team are having to implement very quickly. And there are several teams in the SEC that would love to be 2-0 and right now. So we Ooh. will take it. We will also talk about all of that. Don't you worry. Uh, another week of chaos. But for the Tigers, it was close to being chaos. Just a 14-10 to win over Cal. And again, out of Hugh Freeze's press conference, he straight up said the offense was terrible. He just went straight to the point. <laughs> He gave so much credit to the defense, some specific guys that certainly played their hearts out. Eugene Asante, undisputed, like, show out in that game. Yeah. Very incredible. Uh, but he he called out the offense directly and said it was really – it was bad. And it was not at all what he expected out of that game. Not just result, but just how it looked. And obviously, when you go into a game and you have four turnovers and that many penalties – you are dang lucky to get out of there with a win. But let's start with the offense because they really had a tough time getting going. And I think regardless what kind of game plan an opponent's defense is going to come in with, you're still going to see the things that you're good at as an offense still show itself on the field. It, like you said, this offense looked inept majority of the game. They generated only six first downs in the first three quarters of the game. It was really that 69-yard drive midway through the fourth quarter that led to the win. And if it weren't for Cal's field goal kicker missing so many, we wouldn't have. So yeah. it, it, talk to me a little bit about this. Obviously, Hugh said that you know the, the two-quarterback situation is going to be uh, a working concept as season develops, and it will vary based on opponent. And he said he doesn't think that this week is what he wants it to look like. They didn't call enough RPO. It, it definitely seemed disjointed. So let's specifically talk offense, just why you think there seemed to be such a lack of rhythm. Oh, yeah. Let's just start with turnovers. Uh, you know, yeah. that's the most important part of the game. Like, that's something that Auburn didn't have in the first week. We talked about it. You know, you mm -hmm. didn't have false starts, didn't have the holding calls, you didn't have the turnovers. And all of a sudden, boom, we go out to California and we look like week one. You know, we yeah. look like this was our first week. And, mm -hmm. you know, 
and and the ball and turnovers that we had was was in ooh, two of them was in California's territory. Territory, you know, and then the other two, you know, still their turnovers and they count because it kills drives. You know, you're trying right. to go and you're trying to score and finish off a drive, and uh, instead of making a fourteen to three game. You know, Jamar the first fumble, we end up end up being ten to seven cows away. So yep. you're about to go up two scores, and you're in our red zone. Instead, you down ten to seven. So yep. you kind of keep the fight in cows' hands instead of getting ahead, where you can kind of attack their offense a little bit more defensively with some blitzes. We end up having to just, you know, it's almost like we were just sawing wood the entire night, just like. All right, when we're gonna get there? When we're gonna get there? Yeah, and, and you know, it just kept happening like that until we got late into the fourth quarter. We was able to get that long drive, and that all started with a third and seventeen completion to Fairweather, and then finish off with a Fairweather touchdown. But yeah. to me, it all started in the beginning of in the first in the first series. You know, Thorne was trying to make a play. But you know you're that close to the sideline. You don't have a chance to get the first down. Just go out of bounds. You know, he tried to mm-hmm. reach with his left hand for more yards. And unfortunately, his arm got hit and the ball goes forward. So right. they seemed like after that, it just kept raveling. It just, you know, it didn't stop. And this offense is supposed to be built around the RPO game. And that's what Coach Freeze was saying. We kind of got away from the RPO game in this in in, in, in Cal. Like we, we yeah. started trying to do some things that, you know, maybe you know, from an offensive standpoint, I get it. We have four transfer portal guys starting the offensive line. You know, we got most all our receivers are transfer guys. You know, right. except for Javaris Johnson and Jay Fair, uh, for the most part, Amari Kelly, but Jair Shorter, Shane Hooks, you know, Nick mm-hmm. Martiner. Uh, you know, it's just most of them are transfer guys. So right. I think a lot of it is they're trying to figure out who does what best and how do we implement this and trust me, we didn't have a challenge against UMass. So we really didn't know what to base it off of, you know. Sure. And uh, and then also you get against a Cal team that had 52 new players. Like this wasn't the same old Cal team. They had 52 yeah. new players uh, from the transfer portal in their signing class. So I, I just think it's a combination of we kind of got away from what we wanted to do, which is the mm-hmm. RPO game. And mm-hmm. my thing about this, Taylor, is when you want to go fast, you got to make sure you get first downs. Because yep. if you're not getting first downs and you're going fast, you can't establish tempo. You can't get no tempo. You're back on the sideline, so you lose exactly. your chemistry. So my thing is slow it down until everyone mm-hmm. can catch everyone can catch on to what they need to do. And then once everyone can catch on, then you can go fast because it takes a lot of the thinking out of it. Now, the two quarterback system. It's hard for me as a quarterback to get into a rhythm sometimes if I'm if I'm alternating as much oh, as we're yeah. alternating. You know, yeah. like and you kind of don't know when you're going to be in or you're not going to be out, you know? So in the first game, it kind of was like, okay, Thorne pushes the ball to the red zone. And then all of a sudden Robbie comes in the game. Yeah. In this game, it was kind of like, oh, both of them was playing all over the field. So it was no like, okay, it was kind of like, uh, is this the plan? That's why Coach Freeze, I think, probably said, I don't think that was the plan. But it just kind of ended up that way. One, because they probably didn't have confidence in Thorne the way he was playing in those game in the early in the game mm-hmm. and they feel like okay we need to put robbie in here quicker than we need to because see if he can give us a a booster spark yeah a spark and you know and then he gets in there and they're shutting down his run and then he mm-hmm. try to call a pass and uh, the passing just still not there yet and yep. then thorn doesn't look comfortable in the pocket so i think they just got caught in a situation where they was trying to like wing it and see which one of these quarterbacks was going to take the bull by the horn and, yeah. and take the offense and go with it 
And look, we said going into season, and especially when we were in fall camp and this conversation was still happening, that this was still going to be looked at through the first weeks of first three weeks at least of season. So this is not a surprise that they're still looking at this in-game scenario up against a variety of defensive fronts, defensive stunts, and also various atmospheres. You go to a, a foreign environment all the way on the West Coast, and we're learning as we go. Luckily, they've got one more week to do that before we get into the SEC gauntlet. And so I do kind of... Uh, rest in that that this is a coaching staff that is very much evaluating what's working and what's not but we are lucky that we are figuring that out with two wins under our belt because it very easily could have gone the other way but that's part of the risk associated with a total flip of a team and a program i love the rivaldo fairweather involvement i anticipate we'll see more of him he is such a mismatch and and a great threat um he also spoke about wanting to get jay fair more touches like he is still very involved even though he has for all intents and purposes handed over play calling right. which he has also spoken about he was asked about it and he said i have all the faith in the staff and in our ability to prepare but he did say last week he spent more time with the defense because out of week one, like we talked about that mm-hmm. run defense and some tackling and things like that. So he said he spent majority of this week with the defense. And he said, this week, I'm going to be back with the offense. He said, mm-hmm. Phil has no ego. He doesn't care if I come in and call things, but I know that my attention needs to be paid to the offense this mm-hmm. week. And I feel like that's necessary. We have known that about Hugh Freeze, that he is an offensive guy. And I feel like for him, this is the first time in his career that he has handed over play calling. But I think there's a happy medium of his involvement because he is a very effective offensive mind and specifically working with quarterbacks. I do hope to see him a little bit more in the fold with that side of the ball moving forward. Yeah, well, that's what he's paid to do, you know, is to come here and and help this offense. Uh, Defense had 15 missed assignments the first week. So I Mm -hmm. think after that, he's like, okay, we're going to play Cal. And I kind of know this guy that I'm playing against because I've coached against him numerous times. So he probably said, let me go over here and show the defense what to look for within the Cal's offense. You know, not so much let me make sure I'm honing in on him because I think he trusts his coach Roberts. I think it was mm-hmm. more so giving them a look of what to expect with that type of offense. Um, now, when it comes back to that, I think he feel like, dang, my time away from the de- from the offense, as much as it was, showed itself. You yep. know, and I got to get back over here because, okay, I see this the other side can kind of carry their own with our defensive backs, our defensive front, mm-hmm. Eugene Asante, like a missile. You know, the way he's shooting and tackling, tackling, like what a game for him. This guy's gonna have a great season. You know, people seeing this for a game, this guy is amped to have a great season. Mm -hmm. Uh, offensively, though, I'm just shocked, Taylor. It just seems like to me in a cow game, we got nervous because of the first early uh, possessions, Mm -hmm. and it's almost like we was playing not to lose offensively rather than play to win. Because so true. we were so conservative. We didn't even pass the ball at not one time in the third quarter. And, mm-hmm. you know, we had 94 yards passing. We got to find a way to get the ball to these guys in open space. And doesn't yeah. always have to be down the field. It can be slant routes. It can be hitches. Right. It can it, be quick yes. outs. Mm-hmm. Just give them something to get the ball in their hands so they can get 
yards after catch and use their ability. I was like, we can't keep trying to run the ball so much to a point when you get against AM, Georgia, and LSU, and all these other teams, they're not going to let you just run the ball at will. Like you're gonna have to be able to throw the ball to open up the open up the the run game. So hopefully this week against Sanford we do that. Yes, this is certainly an opportunity for you to kind of expand the playbook a little bit, get those guys a little more comfortable in those roles. Because you're right, I do think the best offenses showcase the variety of skill set of all the personnel on the field instead of just being fixated on what you think you want it to look like. Kind of go with what's working for you at that time. And I think we figured out the Rivaldo Fairweather thing. It was just a little later in the game than you would like. But nonetheless, uh, they were able to capitalize on that one touchdown that led to the win. Thank goodness. But defensively, those guys played their tails off. I mean, like they were flying around. They were physical. And it really looked like the week one to week two improvement, you saw that on the defensive side. I mean, like they went into the film room, took some notes out of week one and implemented it quickly. Almost definitely. This defense was put in some bad situations. Like their back was against the wall immediately on some of those turnovers where it was already Mm -hmm. a given three, but how can we just make it not a given seven, you know? And that's what they did. Like they, they held cows, cows offense and they got the first, the first uh, field goal, which I thought was holding on, on yeah. Jalen Simpson, that they held him. They didn't call it. Right. The next time they called it. And then the third time, those field, he, he missed another field goal. But those three missed field goals just didn't happen because he just missed them. A lot of it happened because Jalen Simpson was coming off that edge so fast yeah. that it made the kicker speed up his kick. The next thing is Eugene Asante. This guy was on scout team last year. Scout team. He transferred over from North Carolina. They had him on scout team. And he mentally said when he was on scout team, he took it personal to the point that, hey, I'm going to be preparing for when I do get the opportunity. So while I'm on scout team, I'm learning every little in and out that I can possibly learn. And Marcus Harris, another kid, man, from Montgomery, like not huge Taylor, you know, but strong up front, makes a lot of things happen in on a lot of tackles. Uh, you know, there's others I can name, but those two guys really stepped up and really made some big plays along with Donovan Kaufman, who ended up leaving the game. But mm-hmm. overall, though, there's a lot of uh, game balls to be passed around, but it started and in, in the energy started with Eugene. 100%. And those are the... Those are the things that we want to hold on to in college football stories like that and guys like that, where maybe the odds were against you, but man, you've just got that heart and that passion and you have those moments where that's what's needed on the field. And he certainly ties it in with his physical ability, but it has to start from somewhere really pure and genuine. And I, I love to hear that. Um, well, look, I mean, that was, pivotal for us to maintain that win and I say maintain because like you said it kind of was like they were playing not to lose not playing to win but we got out of there with the dub we will take it you turn your eyes toward one more game at home that does kind of afford you the opportunity to iron out some wrinkles maybe try some things get guys comfortable before you go into the stretch of conference games that will truly challenge 
our ability, our mentality, our everything. Um, so Sanford comes to town on the heels of a loss, 30-7 to versus Western Carolina last week. They really struggled against them. Right. Their quarterback, Michael Hires, was sacked six times. He lost a fumble, and they were held to just 46 rushing yards. Uh, he was 21 of 31 for 315 yards and a touchdown. His top target is Ty King. So based on that, you assume that their passing game is a bit more effective than their running game, but a lot of it because of their offensive line. Their offensive line is struggling at this point. That is a theme across college football right now, though. I think it's a big part of why the SEC is having a down year. You look at all of these games, that is the one thing they have in common. These offensive lines are not standing up to the test. So it definitely seems like a... a part of Samford's issues. Uh, Chris Hatcher is their head coach. He and Hugh Freeze have some history together. So there's storylines there, but these are the games that a coach will tell you it's more about us than our opponent. You obviously can't look past anybody. I mean, Tennessee had a much slower start against Austin P this past weekend than anyone expected. So you never look past anybody, but if there are things you want to work out as a coaching staff, as a team scheme, what have you, this is the week to do it because moving forward after that, you're not going to have the same cushion that you'll have this week. So as they prepare for Samford, a home homecoming game, but you know what's ahead, what do they need to figure out this week? Oh, you just said it. Like they need to practice on different schemes. But for me, though, let's get the receivers some confidence. You know, okay. these guys are talented. You know, they've done a great job of just kind of holding their water, not saying too much, but they need to be involved in the game. You know, yeah. they need to, you know, whether that's Peyton got to step up and play better or let's be honest, the kid wasn't here this spring. You know, he didn't mm -hmm. get here to summertime. So his first real, yeah, you can go through scrimmages, but you know, you're not going to get hit. It's a different story. You know, scrimmages kind of set up, you know, for, for other positions, but for you, it's just kind of, okay, does the ball get to the right place at the right time? And I think for him is more game time, getting more experience, with his receivers and, and finding that rhythm and that chemistry, because I can tell a lot of it is just, they, they haven't played together a lot. And, yeah. and like some of the throws he's missing on, it's almost like, uh, I'm guessing where you are and I want to throw it, but I'm not mm -hmm. sure yet. You're going to be where you're supposed to be. And I'm not <laughs> sure if I'm ready to let it go yet. So that takes some time. So I would like to see again. That's why I wanted to see against UMass him play more in the third quarter because I said this is a time to work on your passing game mm -hmm. where there's no pressure. That's what needs to happen this week. We know we can run the football. Our offensive line did a really good job of run foot, run blocking this weekend. Mm -hmm. We struggled a little bit on the edge in the passing in the passing defense. I was right. just like, but it still wasn't just terrible. You know what I'm saying? Like mm -hmm. they still did a decent job. Cam Stutz had a couple of pancakes that won't be shown <laughs> nationally, but this guy was pushing guys down the field. I'm like, yeah just stoning guys so they're still a, they're still working together and, and growing and, and everything I, you know of course too tall miller had maybe one or two plays he wish he can have back the holding call and they got beat one time by reese on the edge because he didn't sit back on his feet work but that's correctable it's not like mm -hmm. he just got overmashed. no he right. just didn't have his feet in the right place you know and then he just didn't know how to let go at the right time so i'm not worried about those things my thing is get the passing game going you know, like you have to, if you're going to put Robbie in there, let Robbie throw the ball as well. 
Like, yeah, he's got to develop as a passer. Like, no one's gonna let him get. Cal just stopped him every time he got him try to run the ball. He tried to stop mm-hmm. him. Now I know he wants that one throwback. He almost ended the game trying to throw across his body, and that <laughs> that can scare the coaches as well. So these yeah. quarterbacks, one, give the coaches an opportunity to have confidence in you by showing your decision making. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. your decision making is what make coaches have confidence in you. Like yeah. knowing to throw the ball away, knowing to check it down. No one want to say, okay, I can't get rid of this ball. I got to take the sack. Like, yeah. just protecting the ball and protecting your team. Start with that first. And then they would probably trust you to deliver more passes than what y'all attempted in the first two games. So, those, they got to do a better job uh, defensively. Don't slow down. You yeah. got to come out here against a team like Sanford, and you got to let them know early and often it's going to be a long day. Put the game away. Go ahead mm-hmm. and give your other guys behind you a chance to get some playing time and get yep. them and, and get them some reps that they need so you can get healthy for next week. You know Robbie can run the ball. So when we put Robbie in the game this week, let's throw the ball. Let's get him on the edge. Let's get him on some boots, some nakeds, something to make him feel comfortable because you're going to need his passing to develop. Okay, Peyton, let's give him 25 pass attempts. He's had 17 the first two games. Each game he had 17 pass attempts. Let's get him 25, see if he can build some chemistry with the receivers. And last, yeah. man, Jeremiah Cobb looked good. You know, let's let's find a way to get him about seven touches. Yeah. I, it is worth mentioning that Jarquez Hunter has returned to the team and was out there. So I will go ahead and put a bow on that story, at least for now. So the running back room is back at full go. But yeah, that's the aspect that you always have confidence in, especially this year with the depth that we have and the improvements on the offensive line. So I think a game like this is really focused on the passing game, and I hope that they take the opportunity to do so. Let's talk about the week that was in the SEC. I feel like (sighs) what we talked about on last week's episode was proven, and that is unfortunately... I don't believe the SEC is the dominant conference this year. I think that other you are seeing the distribution of talent across the country due to the transfer portal and NIL. You're really starting to see the implications of that this season. And I don't think it's as cut and dry. And I think as someone who lives, eats, breathes, dies for the SEC, we've gotten a little complacent. We've gotten a little set in the expectation that we're just going to absolutely dominate. And if we are only banking on Georgia because they won the last two natties, we're no different than the ACC who hung their hat on Clemson for the past decade. So this is time for everyone to do a little self-evaluation and realize that, okay, we we have to step it up. We cannot let the rest of college football catch up to us and just continue, continue to expect that we're just going to dominate forever because we're the SEC. That's not going to be the case. And that was proven this week as it was in week one. Alabama upset by Texas uh, in a game that was certainly going to be a, a well-matched game. And there were, you know, a, a lot of expectations for both and a lot of doubts for both. So it really was kind of up in the air how that was going to go. Texas A&M upset by Miami. We all know what happened in week one. So we're looking at this thing going, oh, the SEC is top heavy. I don't know if we can even say that anymore. Like Georgia, who we also believe is beatable. I mean, like, we're hoping for an upset in Jordan-Hare. LSU already did with it. At this point, you look to Ole Miss. Like, what is going on? But so much of it is, like I said, offensive line. Until that gels, you're just relying on these, like, stud 
recruits that you're getting and these high caliber talent, which is fine, but it all has to work together. And this year in particular, so many of these programs seem so disjointed. Oh, you make a valuable points like uh, NIL and transfer portal has now caught up with the teams that used to build their teams from scratch by top recruiting classes. You know, Clemson so was always top three in recruiting. Alabama was top three in recruiting. Uh, and when they was doing it, what they was doing, going to national championships, because mm-hmm. your competition that you competed against, you out recruited. So your right. players are naturally better. You know, so I think a lot of that is that hurt that it kind of made them top heavy, like what we were saying. But mm-hmm. now it's not the case. You know, it's kind of like old school. Remember, Cam Newton was a transfer from Juco into here. You know, yep. Nick Marshall was a transfer from Georgia to Auburn. Yep. Um, you know, so those were valuable players to this program that changed the dynamics. You know, so you got to think now that's everywhere. It's not just yeah. in some of these bigger schools. Colorado, 80 some new players changed the whole dynamic of college football in their season okay. already. You know, you just look at all these teams like what's the two teams that didn't get a lot of transfer guys? Clemson and Alabama. Mm. And but what's the teams that they did the ones that did that decide to get involved and get in and, and go get transfer guys and not be stubborn about it? Yeah, they're making leaps and bounds. Texas, you know, making leaps and bounds. Like, yeah. So you have to look at it all across. Notre Dame just when they got the quarterback Hartman. You yep. know, look what he's doing to the Notre Dame program. Look how their offense is looking. Totally different. So. You got to get involved now. A lot of coaches just want to say, ah, oh, you know, nope, that's not me. I'm used to doing it this way. All right. It's either you started doing it a new way or you're going to get out the game. Like, yeah. Because it's going to catch up and it's going to pass you. So yeah. you got to get involved. And that's why I say, like, hey, you don't know what a team is going to look like from year to year anymore. Like, you just don't. Because, yeah, Auburn can look this way next year. We can go out and get 40 more new players this next season and be in a national championship or something. You just never know yeah. because – your roster just would not look the same. The days of seeing a player start at a quarterback position for four years is probably done. Yeah. You know, like you you may see Matt's two years and then the guy's gone. You know, he's out of transfer mm-hmm. and he's gone to the league. It's just that that's the way it is just now. There's no time for continuity. Everything's always changing. How fast can you bring your team together? How fast can you get these guys to play for each other? It's the teams that are going to win and the ones that you can motivate to look at the team rather than themselves. Right. Yeah. I mean, I feel like it's it's such a catch-22 because there are so many aspects of this that we are reluctant to jump into, you know, and I kind of was talking about it last week. I understood a lot of Dabo's stance on the transfer portal when it first came in, but at some point you are hindering yourself, your program and your players by not adapting. And you can still have your standards and your ways in which you're going about it. You don't have to just completely abandon these expectations that you have for the kind of person you bring into your program, but not participating at all. You're going to get left behind. And so many of these other schools, teams, programs are doing everything they can with the goal of contesting in the playoff and for a national championship. And you got to just play the game. So it's, it's very hard to find that balance, but I think Mm -hmm. the good coaches are doing it. And and so you got to kind of look to that for the proof. I would say I was more, 
I was more surprised by the Alabama loss than the Texas A&M loss. I've been saying I wasn't buying the Texas A&M resurgence, and I just don't – I feel like something internally is just off because they've got four and five stars across the entire field, the entire roster. You probably have the most funding in the SEC, so I do not understand what the disconnect is and why it's the same song and dance every year. But if they don't figure it out soon, I don't know how much longer he's going to have in College Station. And I I thought after week one that everyone was an idiot for talking about Alabama <laughs> like they weren't the typical Alabama. I thought after week one, like, Milrose the guy. They still have a ton of studs. And Saban's still one of the greatest of all time. Why are we talking about this team like they're gone? But the way that Texas just capitalized, like, they looked like the better prepared team. And I... Even when Bama has lost, like the two losses they had last year that were down to the wire, you didn't look at them and feel like they they were ill-equipped. It just, that's college football. In this one, Texas looked like the better prepared team. Oh, yeah. Texas, put it away, Sarkeesian wanted this win badly. And they're coming to the SEC next year. So he didn't want to walk into this thing 0-2 against Bama, losing back-to-back years. And some of the play design was some of those same play designs that he had when he was at at Alabama. I was Uh watching the game a little bit, and him, the way he attacked the safeties, where he get this safety to eye down the the dig route, but he hits a post on top of it. You know, those type of things he used to do when he was at Bama. And so you saw a lot of those things. and. And everything, but you could tell they was on a mission to come and win this game. Evers yeah. came out throwing the ball confidently. Most quarterbacks go into that stadium and they get mesmerized with all the crowd noise, with all the different things that's taking place. Oh, Bama's history and tradition and all of that. And they get mesmerized instead of saying, Hey, no, they put their pants on just like we put our pants on. Yeah. You know, and they got to play 60 minutes just like we got to play 60 minutes. And the best man is going to win. That's right. the attitude that they went in there with. And, yes, Bama has the biggest offensive line in all of football, college and pro. But you know what I saw? They wasn't moving their feet, though. Like, right. you can be big, but you got to be you got to be able to run. Yeah, do something athletic, with it. Do something with it. And it, caught, <laughs> it, it showed. Everybody getting caught up into these names. Names don't matter anymore because nope. now kids are – they develop somewhere else and they transfer to another school and all of a sudden – Boom. You know, so this thing is going to be interesting, Taylor. I can't even tell you who's going to be in the final 12 at the end of this year. You know, it's going to, is it four? I thought it was 12. Yeah. Next year is 12. Oh, next year is 12. So, yeah. Bama, they even have a shot. They can't even, they can't even afford to lose another game. And nope. they got some tough ones. They come to Jordan Hare at the end of the year. Uh, Georgia. They would have to win the SEC championship. Right, I think. To, to have a chance. Mm-hmm. Or Texas will have to, but Texas go undefeated, and that'd be their only loss. But yeah. like I said, they come to Auburn at the end of the year. I think we have a shot. Yeah. Uh, Georgia plays South Carolina this week. We'll learn a little bit more about Georgia this week. Um, before that's the only big game they played, you know, before they come to yeah. us in two weeks. But you know what? I also realized all of their first four games are at home. So the first time that Carson Beck plays in a road environment will be Auburn. Great tidbit. That is a hard place to play for any quarterback. Greg McElroy talks about it. Like opposing quarterbacks always talk about how tough Jordan Hare is to play in. How many years have we been doing this podcast? And you have your ringer on? 
Yeah, somebody caught me. I remember my first podcast. Okay, as I was saying, Auburn's got to get all the kinks worked out this week. Honestly, it's ours for the taking right now. The way the season is set up, the way the conference is kind of, you know, not as expected right now, you got to be the best equipped that you can to get to that slew of conference games. So we'll see what they put out. Son of a gun, Jason Campbell, I'm going to cancel you. Okay, I'm going to wrap it up before Jason gets another freaking phone call. That is going to do it for us this week on Believe in Everything Auburn. I can't work in these conditions. Uh, Thank you so much for listening. As always, uh, you can subscribe if you haven't already. Leave us a review. Comment on YouTube. We are on Believe's YouTube channel. You can watch us if you'd like. And I'm going to let Jay go because he's a hot commodity. So thanks for listening, everybody. We'll be back next week. War Eagle. War Eagle, everybody. Tune in. Hey, pass it on to a friend. You know, a lot of folks can tune into our show. No one gives better episodes than Taylor and I. We're going to give you exactly what we think and honest opinions. And hey, sure that. continue to support our show. War Eagle. Yes, please. War Eagle. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.